0: You're listening
1: to the horror. Welcome to the horror.
0: I, uh, <laughs> I'm Owen Anderson. I like horror movies.
1: <laughs> and I'm Russell Sharman, and I like movies.
0: You, a narrow sort of small percentage of.
1: No, you're the one that likes the narrow slice I like, of.
0: I'll watch your unicorn store. Meeting. I'll watch that one. Have
1: you? Have mm-hmm. you seen it? Because it's, it's delightful.
0: It's way, way, way down on the list. Captain Marvel directed it. You should check it out. Captain Marvel directed it? Brie, um...
1: Yeah, Brie Larson. Okay. Yeah. See? Huh? Huh? Now how do you feel? <laughs>
0: about the, really about the same. Misogynist. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Today, we are discussing what I cannot deny is a classic of the genre.
0: hmm We are watching Halloween. The 1978 John Carpenter classic. Also, let's give credit to the screenplay, uh, Deborah Hill and John Carpenter wrote it together. Deborah Hill produced. She deserves a lot more credit than she gets. An incredible low-budget film, a $300,000 budget that was an immense success, one of the biggest independent film's success stories ever. Launched a franchise which still goes on to, to, to this day, an amazing classic Film and probably launched more than some other films in some ways, although there were predecessors, is is credited with launching the slasher movement, which exploded in the 1980s. Everything from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the 13th, this goes on and on. Uh, but, but so much of it goes back to 1978, Halloween. Story of Michael Myers, and he goes after babysitters. Pretty simple. Serial killer hunting babysitters. That's the story.
1: What did you think? So, I think the only I, I think the only reason you chose this one really is so that you could run through the sequels <laughs> at the end of the episode. It's like it, it probably does Owens
0: have the most dream I, I, most delicious of uh, of of sequels and 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 weird twisted timelines. I mean,
1: I'm kind of surprised you didn't start us with like Halloween 7 or something. Since it is usually your want to just skip the first one. First
0: of all, Halloween 7 is properly titled Halloween H2O. So there's not actually something that would be called Halloween 7. (laughs) I'm just embarrassed for you. (laughs) Really? We'll um, get into the sequels, okay. but, but like, I, so
1: I, oh, I know I'm sure I'm sure but, I'm going to go make an omelet or something <laughs> while you're talking about them,
0: but, but it's, it's, it's fair on this one to go back to Halloween. So Halloween set such a standard. It has uh, been uh, imitated so many times uh, and, and, and people just hold, hold it so close to their hearts. And John Carpenter is such a master. I think, I think it deserves to go back to the original for this one.
1: So what did I think? First of all, it scared me. And I think <gasps> oh. that's the first time I can say that about any of the films that we've watched. Wow, even Martyrs? Martyrs didn't scare me. It, it creeped me out. It it disturbed me. But I wasn't scared.
0: You were scared someone was going to see you watching it.
1: <laughs> well, there's that. Uh, this one, the first, the first few minutes, I don't remember. I mean, of course, I saw this when I was a kid probably many times. I don't remember the opening. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that creepy moment when they're driving up to the hospital and you see patients just wandering in their gowns yeah. in the darkness yeah. and that and I didn't realize you know it was it was you know Michael that attacks the car I just thought it was some random oh it was genuinely scared I was scared and the the problem however is there were diminishing returns on that mm-hmm. uh, it, it I in the sense that I I don't want to say it's a bad movie
0: Oh, okay <laughs> I'll just
1: just leave that there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say <laughs> that it's a bad movie, but I will say that that the jump scares you know about half an hour in forty five minutes, I was getting a little tired of the the slow pan to reveal the over the overalls. <laughs> like, oh, there's Michael. Uh, it it got a little it got a little tedious that element. Uh, but that that was that was sort of a qualm that I had because it was so effective in the beginning and then it, it kind of lost its edge through repetition.
0: Sure, sure. You know I'll, I'll tell you this what's interesting is what you just said like so the film has a kind of a weird and and it's very simple it really is simple you know the original idea was just the babysitter murders like and, and although later on it's sort of re-engineered that uh, James Strode is rela- or not Jamie, Laura Strode is related to Michael Myers that she's actually his sister that's not in this movie at all it is
1: no and that's what I, I must be confused with later iterations because and I think we even, I mentioned this on a past episode that I assumed they, that it was his sister, but watching it again, yeah, there's no there's no connection at all.
0: Even if you watch, like the the film went on television as well, and they added some other scenes for the TV version, partially like just to reach length and make sure they took stuff that was, wasn't appropriate for TV. And even there, there's some hints that this might be his sister, uh, but it's something they invented for Halloween too, which and first... John Carpenter and, and Deborah Hill did not not want to make, so it's not in there. And partially intentionally, like John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they wanted like they wanted this the shape. That's how he's listed in the credits. He has no motive. He has uh, uh, no deeper revenge story. He is just evil, or, or maybe even simpler. He's just a blunt force of death.
1: Right, and I guess that is where I would like to live in this episode in our conversation because as a piece of cinematic craft, it does exactly what it's supposed to do and it does it well. I find Donald Pleasance delightful as an actor and I'm a little sad that he got kind of typecast as this character, the the sort of the fringy character in horror movies, because I just love him on screen. I enjoy him
0: oh yeah he's I mean he's great he's done so much he did he did a lot before this I mean you know of course he did a lot of Halloween movies do you know how many Halloween movies he did can you can you
1: I don't even know how many there are period <laughs> so I'm gonna guess 13. it seems like the kind of thing that would have 13
0: but and when, no there there will be 13 you know we've got one coming out this year and, a, and another one we'll go through that but he himself Donald Pleasance did five different Halloween movies
1: gotcha but he's been he's been in some other weird weird movies.
0: Yeah, he did some other weird John Carpenter movies, as other John Carpenter movies, yeah.
1: And I think there was one in Australia that he plays. Oh, Wake
0: and Fright? Oh my gosh, yeah. Wake and Fright's incredible, but I wouldn't call that a stereotypical horror movie. He plays a freaky genius alcoholic. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Wake so, and Fright. So
1: Dr. Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> so, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis, also delightful. I love her in everything that I see her in. Uh, So performance is fun and good. And I enjoyed watching them on screen. They felt real. They felt like real people, but it does, it does leave me feeling like, well, on the one hand, it is a clear connection descendant from the Frankenstein movies. And we just talked about that, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, where in Mary Shelley's novel, you've got this very complex creature with a very sort of sophisticated worldview that is reduced to this sort of grunting oaf that just kills and it seems like you know halloween is is picking up on that same thread that same tradition i guess you'd call it and i and maybe doubling down and by giving birth to this whole subgenre the the slasher film epitomizes what i don't like about the genre uh, the that that sense of just sort of relentless killing i guess i can understand it intellectually there's something interesting about sort of the faceless evil but i don't want to sit there for an hour and a half and watch it
0: so yeah you don't like to be scared and now now i realize that it's like you know if you don't have a sense of smell there's no perfume that's gonna thrill you but like so that's cool but but yeah when you were scared in this one with those moments that you were scared did you like what what scared you was it i mean. Was it just the sudden appearance of something you didn't expect to see? Like what, what sent that sense of thrill and, and dread through you?
1: Well, the image that sticks with me again, is you see the headlights in the opening scenes, you know, rake across the darkness and you see three or four figures in hospital gowns mm-hmm. and, you know, immediately something's not right. Something, something has gone horribly wrong. And there was definitely a sense of dread a sense of I didn't expect that, and that left me uneasy. Unfortunately, and that, that's interesting to me, cinematically yeah. and narratively.
0: You know, it's interesting that you keep referring to that as the opening scenes when Halloween has one of the more famous openings, which is it's not a steady cam, but it's a continuous shot.
1: Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It is interesting that I keep referring to it as the opening scene. Yeah,
0: though. yeah, yeah. I think you're terrified at the beginning of this film. You're you're blocking it out. No,
1: I'm. I, well, I'm not. And it's in part because the the actual opening scene was so forgettable to me.
0: What?
1: Because it felt so exploitative, so tropey. Even though I get that it it's not because it's the first one, but the 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 young woman topless brushing her hair in the mirror who gets stabbed. So this combination of sex and violence. And then putting that in the body of a child that is sort of an overt attempt to make me feel uneasy or or disturbed because it's a child, but it just felt exploitative. And the parents' reaction where like mom just like puts her hands in her pockets and like, huh. Yep. There's my kid with a butcher kids. knife. Like this the whole that whole sequence felt fell flat for me. And that's maybe why I think of the car ride to the hospital is really the opening. wow.
0: That's that. That's nuts, dude. I mean, you're 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 <laughs> right that there are some tropes, and if you know, it's it's exploitative. Of course, it is. And like, I, I don't know. I take offense of like it's trying to make me feel this thing. Like, yes, it's a movie. They're, they're all trying to make you feel something. Like, uh, I, I, the movie's just trying to make me feel. Well, thrilled. there's a
1: difference between cinema affecting you and manipulating you because that's what all cinema does. I agree, and it being overtly e- exploiting things like f- the female body or the innocence of a child, uh, it feels like a cheap trick as opposed to an expensive illusion. So,
0: so you're saying that, because of course, anytime someone dies on a, on a film, it, it's not someone really dying. And and actually they are exploiting the fact that we are mortal and I our, I fear our own death and the death of those we love. Now that's always exploiting that. But I would, I think what you're saying is sometimes that's okay if the effect is worth it. If it's not worth it, then you're using it too cheaply.
1: Sure, <laughs> I think I agree with that. I think I agree with that. I mean, I think we're playing fast and loose with the word exploit. Yes, there's a difference between exploitation and manipulation. All cinema is manipulation. I agree with that. And I guess you could call it like gradations of exploitation, but I'm, I'm speaking specifically of, for example, the topless woman uh, being stabbed from the point of view of the camera feels particularly cheap and meant to conflate this feeling of titillation with evil and murder. And that's the part that I just feel like I don't, I don't, don't put me through that. I don't want to experience that.
0: You don't want to be in the eyes of the killer. No. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you.
1: So, maybe that's why it was somewhat forgettable. But, and funnily, I watched that twice because I I started it and I had to stop it and come back to it and and just started from the beginning again. So, I actually watched the opening, the true opening sequence twice, and I still didn't remember it when we started talking.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, so so then you 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 were th- you were like, oh gosh, the the moment where the the headlights outside of Smith's Grove shows the the wandering inmates or patients there, sort of wandering free. You're like, uh oh, things. The world is not as it should be. That that filled you with fear.
1: Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, that feeling of again a kind of dread of uh, I was not expecting this. It's a spooky image. It's it's not a startling image. It's a dreadful image. Right and 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 that's an important distinction because i think this movie plays a lot with the startling image the the jump scare is the currency they are dealing in for the most part in this film.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's not the conjuring as far as jump scares, but it's true. There's a lot of jump scares, but there's a lot of, of uncanny weird images when, when there's a figure standing in the doorway, unmoving with a sheet draped over him and the glasses of the boyfriend, Bob's glasses. And he just stands there watching for the whole time. It's not a jump scare. It's just a terrifying, Oh my God, you don't know you're in the room with death. So, okay
1: but honestly yeah that was that was not scary what? that was stupid what? that was <laughs> that was so goofy
0: russell <laughs> gosh i know we've been doing this for, for so long i don't know why i'm continuously shocked <laughs> but and, come on and he's like got a sheet on with with the guy's
1: glasses
0: yes yes and and, and of course it's like the, so I, I, let me go for two things. One thing, let, let's, a, a little bit of, of theatrics. And I know we've already talked a little bit about Brechtian idea. The idea that sometimes um, in horror films, the the idea of the artifice being announced. Uh, and I don't think Carpenter is ever really going for that. But Carpenter, you know, d- does do these things where uh, there's a little lack of realism. For example, the ending shot uh, the crane shot pulling away from the little boy being unmasked, holding the bloody knife, and the parents, and it, it presents this kind of weird tableau. It's not realistic, right? Um, but I, I kind of wonder, like, I don't think it's intentional. I, don't, I mean, I don't think the intent was realism at that moment. It is a, this weird sort of moment tableau, and and so the serial, like, I don't think there's gonna be a serial killer. Is like, now that I've killed this guy, let me take a little time to take this sheet, cut some holes out of it, because, <laughs> because the. He didn't have to cut the holes out of it and then put it on, put the glasses on. Like he, he's, he's into theatrics here. And, um, and it's one of those moments that I just really, really enjoy.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it because, and and this is the fundamental difference between us. You're, you're in it for the ride, right? You, you enjoy that, like, like your love for Friday the 13th part four, which all that is, is like a, 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 sort of super cut <laughs> of, of death. Uh, to you that's thrilling and fun and it's a ride and and to me it's the parts that I that I like I like the least and and this is why this pro, this movie is problematic for me because there's so much to like about it in terms of the way Carpenter establishes suspense and that sense of of dread you know there's a lot of wonderful moments of you know Mike Myers standing in the background or 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 you know behind the car across the street and then disappears And those moments, they're so beautifully framed. They're so well edited, like they're perfectly timed. But then he does it like seven times and it gets tedious. I see. But for someone who just who loves it every time they see it, like, give me more. Do it twelve times because I love it every time.
0: <laughs> so you, the, so the basically like the first half hour uh, with the, you know the girls walking home and Michael Myers kind of appearing out of the side of a hedge or looking up th- from the backyard. Those moments you dig. You're you're into those moments.
1: It, yes, as discrete moments, they all work. I just felt like there were too many of them. Okay, and I got a little tired of. All right. As soon as the camera frame starts moving, I'm like, we're going to reveal Michael now.
0: Mm -mm -mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: uh – I will say one of the most effective, and this might be my favorite moment, although it's probably the headlights catching the inmates. Yeah. But that moment with Donald Pleasant standing outside the hardware store. Yeah. And you just sort of stay with him, and you see the station wagon. Yeah. Yeah turn the corner behind him. Yeah. That's a beautiful bit of composition framing and blocking uh that, you know, I thought was really effective.
0: I agree. I, lo- I love that moment too. I mean, it's true like it you, you do see like, oh gosh, this this guy did not have a lot of money, but he sure knew uh how to film and and pace a movie and was working with the right kind of team there. So I wanted to though uh, jump into what you were talking about about Michael Myers being a continuation of the monster Frankenstein. And basically we're dumbing down the concept of evil we're making them less characters and more these, I was going to say mythical figures, but, uh, but, but I don't think you would even call it that.
1: No, that sounds interesting. Well, I think it's actually
0: what, what's actually kind of been accomplished. So, I mean, Carpenter did, was honestly thinking about this kind of stuff. Of course, he was like, oh, gosh, someone's going to hire me to make this movie. Great. Hey, they gave me and my girlfriend $10,000 to write the script. Woohoo!" I mean, he was a struggling young writer and filmmaker. This was a really cool opportunity for him. He had only made a couple of films. But he was aware of like, you know what's scary? Is when the monster is unexplained, and this is a you know I think a really interesting turn. I think it's one of the reasons actually so many of us do uh, find ourselves drawn to these kind of figures, and you know the ones that came after uh, like Jason and all these others of like there's the mask gives us something like wait I can't I can't solve this. This is like I can't I don't. There's not like a oh you know what if only he'd been treated better as a kid then. None of this would have ever happened. Or, oh gosh, if you just give him back the teddy bear that was taken away from him, then he'll be fine. He'll be calmed down and uh, and pacified. Like Instead, it's like, no, here's an evil. It doesn't really have a reason. There's not a way that you can understand it. And also, I'm going to occasionally put you in his eyesight, so you're going to have his point of view. But he doesn't have a motivation. There's not a simple reason this is happening. It's just death coming for you. And that seems to speak to a lot of us as saying something true about existence.
1: Yeah, and we've had that we've had this conversation and and it's entirely possible that I, you know, I am in deep denial about my mortality and therefore don't want to confront don't want to confront it and don't appreciate movies that make me confront it. Uh, I would rather, you know, dance at the edge of the abyss until I fall over <laughs> <laughs> and didn't see it coming.
0: Is that an echo in the bunny man lyric? <laughs>
1: Uh, it, so, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to do some, some meditation on that. All I know is I find, I find these movies in this movie in particular, because it is so, it is so pure in its presentation of, of this idea. I, I find them both tedious in their repetition of jump scares and and the killing of young women. Although there is a, there is a young man that gets killed and uninteresting like I not uninteresting I mean it is what you're saying as a concept is interesting and and I can understand it intellectually but yeah. I just feel gross at the end of it I feel gross I feel vulnerable like as soon as the movie ended I had to go out which is unusual for me it was like 9 30 oh. o'clock I'm usually in bed by then yeah and I had to go out to this social event and leave my wife at home oh and uh she had not watched it with me of course she had no idea I had just watched this and certainly, as I was walking away from my suburban house with the front porch and the light on it, it's not really suburban, but uh, you get you, you've seen it. Yes. And as I was walking away, I you know I ha- I I almost laughed to myself at like, all right, now I feel I feel like maybe I shouldn't leave. You know, maybe. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what if Mike Myers shows up, which I know is absurd, and I didn't like that the movie made me feel that way.
0: That's wow, that's really fascinating. So, I mean, that you know, I've been listening to these lectures on uh screenplay writing, and one of the things they keep asking is, like, what's the cognitive effect at the end of that film, uh, any film? So, watch the last scene, and what's the, the cognitive effect of that last scene, and then go back and see how that was accomplished. And it, it's really interesting, of course, it's kind of a famous ending that Donald Pleasance shows up. He after Laurie has been battling Michael Myers, he shoots him six times. Michael Myers flies over the balcony, lands on the front lawn. Uh, was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. He looks back, and Michael Myers is gone. And then, I mean, and then Carpenter, true to their script, it shows a different se- different settings around the town, like shadows and town. And it basically, it's like saying he could be anywhere. He's not there anymore, which means he could be anywhere. Which the effect was like, oh, my God, he could now be in Russell Sharman's hometown or town hanging around like like it worked.
1: Yeah. And and it's effective. It absolutely is effective because clearly it made me unsettled to leave my wife at home alone. <laughs> but I don't enjoy that. Like, that's not fun mm. for me. So mm. this is my conundrum with the whole genre is yes. there are bad movies. In in your genre, like there's just flat out bad movies. And and I've said it before, and I think it's because a lot of horror audiences don't expect very much from their filmmakers because they just want the thrills. But in the hands of gifted filmmakers. Because you're right.
0: In other genres, there's no bad movies. That's
1: a good point. I mean, you don't have to admit. You don't have to admit anything. But I would argue there are more (laughs) in horror than in other genres.
0: (laughs) Okay. Especially popular.
1: Films, films that people consider, you know, great films like Phantasm or Friday the 13th Part Whoa. Four, Let's... are okay. inherently, <laughs> objectively poorly made,
0: and no, yet are considered no. great
1: because. Okay. All right,
0: you, you you're pushing the arc because
1: they deliver what most horror fans want. However, there are also amazing films: The Shining, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, Get Out, uh, that are objectively well-made films and they are effective at what they do. I just don't like the effect.
0: Yes. I, this, I feel this is the, uh, the, where the highway is breaking off on this podcast. That's <laughs> that, that it's, it's a startling Grand Canyon. This road is heading toward, which is <laughs> you don't like to be horrified.
1: And I realize that's like saying, I don't like comedies. I don't like that weird feeling in my belly called laughter like, <laughs> like i i understand how absurd that must sound <laughs> to some people but uh mm, but it's the mm. truth and i know i'm not alone no you know, there's plenty of people who come up to me and say i haven't listened to your podcast because i don't like horror movies right and I try to tell them well then it's the podcast for you because <laughs> i don't either and and most of the time it's because i you know it's either i don't I don't want to fill my mind with those images, which I think is a valid, you know, concern. Yeah. You you want to just like people who, who are concerned about what they eat. They, they're concerned about their media diet. Sure. Uh, they don't want to see blood and gore. Or they just don't like that feeling of, of being scared. Yeah. And not even being scared. Like, that's tough because, you know, we had this conversation with you and Brett around Basket Case. And, and there are films that, that, like The Shining, that are deeply disturbing, that create... Uh, uh, an unease, and I can respect that about a film. What I don't like are the cheap scares and what I would consider exploitative moments of sex and violence being combined in a way, or uh, a sort of gratuitous gore that doesn't add anything to that sense of existential dread. It's just shocking. Uh, Those are the things that I feel like are cheap and, and annoying.
0: Do you think, like, Horror movies. I mean, especially like we're looking at a slasher movie and 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 a popular slasher movie. Do you, do you think that these are maybe unhealthy for people?
1: No, I don't think that. I in the same way that I I don't buy the argument necessarily that you know first person shooters are going to lead to mass shootings. At, or at least I don't think there's a way you can prove a connection. Does, for example, first person shooter video games it desensitize us to a certain extent to? The realities of gun violence, certainly. But if you if you're the type of person who's going to take a gun and shoot a bunch of people, you're probably going to do that anyway. I, I don't know that a video yeah. game will make you do it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think I mean, I, I think yeah, I, I agree with you. But I mean, uh, on a more on a, a more average level, uh, you know, not necessarily will, will this watching Halloween inspire you to go on a killing spree, but but more of like being desensitized maybe also associating violence and sexuality uh, like do you, do you think this is unhealthy do you think uh, do you think people would be wiser not to consume these kind of images and stories Let's-
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little cop out
0: and say <laughs>
1: it depends.
0: I'm not I'm not trying to pounce. I'm I'm actually For, honestly no. Asking. I I
1: I can I can hear that this is a sincere question. Yeah. But no, I can't say I can't say unequivocally. You know, yeah, uh, horror movies are unhealthy in the same way that there are are certainly films that I enjoy that I wouldn't recommend to some people uh, because I know that it would it would unsettle them in an unhealthy way. I certainly think slasher films in particular could be very triggering, especially for women who've experienced especially sexual violence. I absolutely think uh, there are, there are entries in that subgenre that are irresponsible with the way it treats sex and violence together. And in that sense, exploitative. So that could be unhealthy for some people. Um, But do I think in a kind of general way that these images are somehow going to hurt you (laughs) emotionally, psychologically? No, but I also, I also have a relationship to cinema that is such that when I watch them, I'm I'm watching for the mechanics. I understand the tricks and how they manipulate and how they work. So it's very difficult for me to think of them as as dangerous, right? <laughs> in a way, because they're so easily dismissible f- for me. Yeah,
0: you um, you have a filmmaker's distance. Yeah,
1: I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. So even a film like Martyrs, which again I would never recommend to anyone and and certainly i've had conversations i think i mentioned this with those with students about disturbing cinema and and i've mentioned that film and said and i've said i do not recommend you watch it
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) but it's it's an interesting entry into cinema history (laughs) i suppose you could say but i can watch that knowing oh i wonder how they pulled that off you know in terms of makeup effects at the same time i can also think about it in in that in the context in which it's meant to be seen and what it's trying to say about mortality, but it's still super fucking disturbing. Yeah. And, and I don't know that most people would enjoy that. Is it unhealthy? I don't know what that means, Yeah, but yeah. I certainly think that most people wouldn't enjoy it.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's funny it, it, looking back through the, the history of horror, which we've kind of, uh, you know, time hopped all the way around, but uh, you know, when Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein came out, people were r- incredibly offended. Uh, people were like, this is morbid. Uh, this is immoral. Uh, this is just plain wrong. And Frankenstein in different places was cut down in all kinds of crazy ways. So people in some countries were watching 20 minute versions of it. Um <laughs> It was just, you know, considered. It's a, just a
1: girl playing with flowers.
0: Yeah, that—that's the end. <laughs> and then her dad's carrying her to some party. We don't know, but the, and and then but then of course now we look back and it's pretty tame. Uh, and and see, there's sort of this argument that oh my gosh things have to get more and more horrific. And so when a movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out, they're like oh of course because we're no longer satisfied with. Uh, the the scariness before now it's got to be more intense. Uh, oh no, Hitchcock's killing a woman in the shower, which if, before Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like oh we we that we have to we we've become so desensitized we need to up the dosage.
1: Well, okay, I guess, and I think you would agree with me. I think I take issue with the use of the word sensitized or desensitized because I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is we've become more sophisticated in our cinematic language, in the same way that. When the train pulls into the station with the old Lumiere brothers film, and, mm. and of course it's somewhat urban legend. I don't know if this actually happened, but people, you know, ran out of the theater because they thought the train was about to run them over.
0: I still do and, that,
1: <laughs> and it's because there was a s- relatively, you know, rudimentary understanding of cinematic language of how cinema worked. Right. And I think we have become, over the generations, over the decades, more and more sophisticated about how cinema works. So, so I don't know that it's a matter of sensitized or desensitized. And the reason I take issue with that is only because it makes it seem like it does make it seem like a moral question. Right. And I I don't think that it is. I think that we've just gotten more sophisticated as audience goers at, at the tricks at what cinema can and cannot do. And so when a filmmaker comes along and does something that we didn't expect or we're not used to, or is pushing the language, you know, a little further, it's surprising, hopefully in a satisfying way. Yeah. You could, and that's why, I have a certain begrudging respect for a movie like Martyrs, even if I think it's horrible. (laughs) If that makes any sense.
0: It does, yeah. I was going to say, too, though, like, we went all the way and we finally got to, like, uh, you know, Romero was doing more gore than anyone had seen. Then we got to sort of the torture porn stuff that was happening in the 90s. And like, oh, my gosh. But we actually, after that, in an interesting way, and I think this kind of goes into what you're saying, it wasn't that filmmakers started doing new stuff, but they actually started doing older stuff again so when you have the, the the conjuring movies and a lot of the blumhouse films from like the, the, about 10 years ago these were like pg-13 movies they weren't r they were going back to this you know what's scarier than seeing someone tortured to death is feeling someone grabbing your foot at night and no one being there uh you know even the conjuring got an r rating but it has no murders it has no gore it's just all these scares and this is really interesting thing of like rediscovering what scares us um and it's i think you're right that it's something it, it has to be either something brand new or something that the f- film watchers in some way have forgotten about <laughs> like a new trick
1: yeah and and those you know that sounds intriguing to me uh, because i do think part of my issue i have with a lot of the genre is the gore and you know fam- fam- famously as if this podcast is famous famously <laughs> in our conversation about the thing yeah. and, you know my issue is with the slimy puppets yeah. you know, it was with the 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 gore mm-hmm. uh, it, so much about that that film narratively i found compelling but i found the the, the reliance on that practical effect disappointing mm-hmm. it, it, and interestingly too with halloween to come back to michael myers there are certain things about this film that when you watch it now it there's a certain eye roll quality to the last, you know, 20 minutes in part because it is establishing the tropes of the slasher film and we forget that it's the first to do it. So I you know I just showed Citizen Kane yeah. in my film lecture class and and I have to really take pains before we watch it to explain to students who are all 18, 19 years old that what you're about to see was mind-blowing in 1941 <laughs> in terms of the use of low camera angles and sound design and uh, so forth. But now we take for granted and and seems, seems well, boring now. But at the time, was so sophisticated, audiences uh, didn't buy tickets because they didn't get it. And Halloween, I think, has some of that that I find sort of eye-rolling now. For example, the the sort of classic... I stabbed him with an, in the neck with a knitting needle. And then I like take a break on the couch, <laughs> drop the knife, you know, shoo glad that's over. Right. Yeah. And you know, and, and you're just begging the audience to be like,
0: get off the couch, call the police. <laughs> He's not uh, dead.
1: Yeah. And then that happens again.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So those kinds of things are, are, but at the time, of course it, it was new. So so Carpenter is and just like with the slow pans revealing Michael, you know, Carpenter, I think, is is like found this this trick that that he knows is going to work and he's having fun with it. And he's putting it in there as often as he can, as often as he can get away with it in 1978 in a way that you couldn't in 1998 or 2008 uh, or 2018, because we all know that trick.
0: You, you still can, though. <laughs> uh, at least I'm hoping. So uh, one one more question, and I know we should move, be moving on, but I want to ask you about the end of the film. So I, you're mentioning how you were left sort of feeling like uneasy. You had to leave the house, and you're like, oh, all of a sudden, I'm scared. And, and you've heard me talk about how I think a lot of the horror movies have this idea of dismantling places that we thought were safe, uh, whether it's summer camp or suburbia or our dreams, that uh, places that we thought, are fine and and free of mayhem suddenly we have um, a, a mass killer wandering around I mean actually one of my very favorite moments of the, this film is uh, it has nothing it, Michael Myers is not in the scene it Lori is running away from the house she runs to her neighbor's house because she's right. being you know she's seen her dead friends she knows everything's revealed killers coming I'm about to get killed she slams on the door and this is America. This is a neighbor. This is safety. Small town life. The neighbor flips on the light, looks outside, and then turns off the light. And she is not found a harbor. And that terrifies me. Uh it terrified me the first time I watched it. It still scares me. Then when it comes down to it, there's just no safety. Uh, but but also at the ending, the very very ending, it, it's incomplete. Like it has it, it doesn't it doesn't have an ending. The bad guy wasn't caught. The good guys not really necessarily victorious. And, and although they were not intending a sequel when they made it, I wonder, like, and although that's sort of become a cliche, like, what, he's not dead? I wonder how you think that feels, like, to have that, uh, that untied knot at the end.
1: Well, it's probably impossible to say, without going back in time, to when I was, you know, six years old. I'm sure I didn't see this <laughs> when it first came out. You, you probably but, did. But, you know, now it's in the context of... Halloween 13 and and the full recognition that, you know, the bread and butter of the genre is franchises are, are these sequels that in my estimation, my rudimentary education in the genre, which you are trying to alleviate, uh, <laughs> dilutes whatever original <laughs> interesting inspiration uh, every iteration. So so it just seems it seems it, obvious, you know, money grab, pandering, in in hindsight. But to your point, uh, allegedly Carpenter had no intention of doing a sequel. But but you know, you 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 see the, Pleasant shoot him and he goes over the side. You know he's not going to be there because you know there's Halloween Thirteen. It, like it. So that was another a little bit of an eye roll moment.
0: I see. I see. Yeah. 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 So it felt it it felt like a cliche.
1: Right. But fully acknowledging that. It wasn't at the time.
0: Yes, yes. Well, okay. Well, maybe now is a good time. Should we go through the the, uh, the sequels? I,
1: I know. I know this is the moment you've been waiting for. So I'm gonna go make an omelet.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I've actually recently been reading a book that just came out this year. Uh, called Taking Shape, which is funny. Which Aren't
1: is... you writing a book? I'm writing about... a book
0: on Halloween 4, yeah. So I've been doing my research. I'm open to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be doing some interviews when I get to, out to L.A. next week. So, okay, the first one, of course, 1978, and then the uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they they uh, finally say, okay, we'll, we'll write a second film. Halloween 2 takes place five minutes after the first one ends. So basically, actually immediately, same ends and it basically follows to the hospital where Laurie is taken. Um, it did very well in box office, critics not so much, but at the very end of that, uh, Laurie shoots Michael Myers' eyes out and Donald Pleasance lights himself and Michael Myers on fire. The film ends with Michael Myers on fire walking out of the hospital as Mr. Sandman starts to play at the very end. Michael Myers is dead. After okay. the,
1: yes. so... I I remember that. Mm. And can you refresh my memory before you go on? How did they fix the narrative that... That Jamie Lee Curtis's character is his sister.
0: Sure. So it's actually it's revealed in the in in the movie. Uh, there's a nurse. It's actually the the same nurse that is driving with Loomis in in the first one. She's the one who sort of says, "Oh my gosh, you know the governor wants to see you and talk to you about all this." And they're driving, and she says, "Oh, it's so interesting." And she reveals that the Strodes had adopted Michael Myers's youngest sister. Okay. They and there's a couple of other references. Laurie starts having these memories. She has starts having these memories of. Uh, and there's some clips that are used in the TV version and not the other ones, but she has memories of Michael Myers as a kid visiting him in the hospital. That's when it's introduced that uh, Laurie is actually uh, um, Michael Myers's younger sister and that he has to kill his entire family. But then by the end of that movie, the filmmakers are like, done. He's dead. We burned him to a crisp and shot his eyes out. You know, and, and And Loomis is presumably dead, too. He presumably blew himself out. So then they said, all right, let's do something cool here. Let's make a, an anthology so that every Halloween from this one will be a different scary story. So they made Halloween three season of the witch, which is about an Irish toy maker who steals one of the blocks in Stonehenge, puts microchips in a bunch of masks that he sells to all the children of the world. So they'll watch a special advertisement on Halloween night that basically turns their skulls into bug swamp portals of hell.
1: I remember this as well.
0: Yeah, there's There's also androids in it. It's actually, it was, uh, at the time, like everyone was like, what the hell? And it was panned and it bombed. But since then, more and more people are like, whoa, Halloween 3, cool, cool. After that, uh, Mustafa Kad, who was like one of the producers of Halloween, he bought all the rights back It became an independent movie again. He said, bring him back, Michael Myers, and he made Halloween 4. Halloween 4 is 10 years after the first one, 1988, and although Michael Myers was burned, he didn't burn to death, and his eyes, I guess, weren't totally... Totally shot out, and Doctor <laughs> they grew back. They grew back, and Doctor Loomis is still around, but kind of scarred and, and a little bit nutty. And Michael Myers finds that Laurie, who died in a car accident, uh, had a daughter, so he's got a niece, and he's going after his niece Jamie Lloyd. So he—that's who he's chasing in that one. At the end. P.S.
1: Can we pause? Because this is fascinating to me. Because part of your point, and I was persuaded by it. <laughs> is that Michael Myers is this faceless evil that has no motivation, that is just about death coming for us. Yes. How do you feel about the fact that the franchise is clearly trying to make this about, no, he's just trying to kill his family systematically?
0: I have such a weird love of of the Halloween films and and, and even their quirks, so I can't tell what... (laughs) I can't tell what I love and don't love anymore. <laughs> I just, I love it as all. As long as you're honest. It's just, it's just all family now. <laughs> um, And I love Halloween 4. I mean, it's like, I, I adore that film, but you're right. It totally gives him this rather simple motivation. Uh, and, and And producers are always trying to do this of like, uh, I remember, I think I mentioned to you that I was like, oh, I was up briefly for, like, maybe doing the next Friday the 13th, and and part of the thing was, like, I remember one of the producers was like, we, we want to discover, what is the reason that Jason never dies? Let's explore that. I'm like, no one wants to know that. No one wants to really know that, but... Anyway, yeah. At the end of part four, this is a spoiler, people. Spoilers, so watch out. Spoiler alert. At the end of part four, little Jamie Lloyd, this little girl, at the end, it seems like Michael Myers has been shot several times. He's sort of fallen to this giant pit. Uh, Do- Loomis has saved him, and the little girl puts on a mask, goes to where her stepmother, uh, adopted mother, is um, pouring a bath, takes out a knife, uh, or scissors, and stabs her mother, and is wearing a clown outfit. It's a repetition of the very first film Oh no. Now Jamie Lloyd's the new killer. Ah.
1: Are you waiting for a reaction? Yes.
0: I, that silence was appropriate. Cause I could tell you were a little scared even where you were sitting. Um, a year later, it was uh, number four was a big enough hit. They're like, Whoa, this is, was better than we expected. Let's make another one ne- for next year. <laughs> so they immediately go into production. They have this French director. He's kind of a crazy little guy. Um, He's like, I'm going to do things my way. And uh, basically a year later, Michael Myers has has been kept kind of in a hermit's shack for a year. He wakes up, kills the hermit, goes back after Jamie, who's not a serial killer. She's just like a disturbed little kid. uh, And he basically is uh, hunting her down once again, but also coming to Haddonfield for some reason unexplained is a man in black boots and a black duster and a cowboy hat. We don't know why. He kind of walks around town, gets off a bus, kicks a dog. We don't know who he is, but Michael Myers is captured in the end, seemingly as Loomis drops a big chain on him, beats him with a piece of wood till it seems that Michael Myers is dead and Loomis seems to have a heart attack on top of him. Michael Myers is in jail in cuffs. though They don't remove the mask for some reason. And then that guy in the dark duster uh, comes in with a shotgun, kills everybody, and drives away with Michael Myers. All right. No one knows why. The filmmakers didn't know why. If you ask them, they're like, we just, I don't know, they wanted a cliffhanger.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's everything that's wrong with this genre.
0: Oh my God. So then they make part six, part six, Paul Rudd is in part six and they're like, okay, we got to explain all this. So so part six has a couple of different versions. There is the theatrical and then this producer's cut. uh, And people are really uh, torn on the two, but the basic storyline is uh, now it's several years later. Loomis is still alive. He's retired now and he's working on this book. uh, And Paul Rudd plays Tommy Doyle, the little boy that Laurie's babysitting in the first movie we just watched. Jamie Lloyd was also stolen away with Michael Myers years back, six years beforehand in Halloween 5. She is now given birth to a baby, was surrounded by some kind of cult figure. She escapes with this baby, but is chased down by Michael Myers and eventually killed. In the theatrical version, it turns out that, well, it's weird, Michael Myers has this tattoo on him, the mark of thorn, which means that one person in a community was always marked with the mark of thorn and then would kill anyone in his family, and it protected a community from famine basically, and there was a sort of Celtic mysticism. In the Original film they that sort I of had, it was all about this cult figure, and the cult was out of Smith's Grove. Uh, but then when they did the theatrical, it was also a government experiment to kind of clone Michael Myers into making an army of Michael Myers. It's really unclear. Uh, in the end, it's a very big mystery, but it seems like in the producer's cut, uh, now uh, Do- Donald Pleasence Loomis is now, has the Markathon on himself, and he's now the keeper of Michael Myers. Very strange. Total strangeness and and donald pleasance dies are you sure yeah he actually did die he did die after that they say let's forget that laurie died in a car accident or change that because jamie lee curtis is willing to come back and they make halloween h20 ken williamson was a part of it it feels like out of the scream world it was a a huge pitch people like well this is great jamie lee curtis is a badass she's actually dealing with post-traumatic stress uh, and she works at this private school. She's changed her name. She's gone into hiding. She has a severe drinking problem. But she knows at some point Michael Myers is coming back. That was a big hit. At the end of which, spoiler: she beheads Michael Myers. They, again, they're like, let's. Jamie Lee Curtis cuts off his head. His head rolls away. It's the end. Halloween resurrection is announced <laughs> at the beginning of Halloween resurrection it's revealed that Michael Myers at the end of h2o had actually stolen a um, a, 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 a ambulance driver dressed him put tape around his mouth or, or broken his uh, vocal cords and put his mask on him so the person that Jamie Lee Curtis beheaded was actually just a poor EMT <laughs> so <laughs> so she's now <laughs> She's she's now in a mental asylum. Michael Myers shows up in the first ten minutes of Halloween Resurrection and murders her. The rest of the movie is
1: wait wait hold on yes. <laughs> uh, do you think the filmmakers like had this in mind in Halloween H U O that this is an E M T or a, was that retrofitted?
0: You uh, that's a brilliant question and the answer is everyone wanted Jamie Lee Curtis everyone involved like. Do it, do it here. Jamie Lee Curtis murders Michael Myers. It's the end of the story. It's perfect. But Mustad Akkad, who is the producer, was like, no, no, no. I need a way to keep Michael Myers going. He's my bread and butter. I love this kid. Or the way he actually put it to some filmmakers, like, listen, he's part of my family. Would I kill my own children? No. <laughs> so, so secretly, after they filmed the scenes of Jamie Lee Curtis killing him, they also had the idea of the EMT driver with the duct tape around his mouth so they film some stuff that is how we open up the next film so it was already in the works but it was a complete and utter secret okay okay so then they have a Halloween, sev- uh, uh, sorry, Halloween Resurrection which takes place back at the original Myers house and there's a reality show going on there uh, it's not it's not very good it's, not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's It's my least favorite of them. Then, then we like okay. Let's just start over again. Start over again. Now you got to remember, this is pretty fantastic because all these films could have gone at some point straight to video, like that. It was headed in that direction of going straight to video, but it keeps finding a way to like stay as a theatrical release. Um, So the next one was Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie made Halloween, and he basically kind of remade the first Halloween, but starts with Michael Myers much younger, follows him. For a lot of like, why is he this type of kid? Why is he so bad? Oh, he was brought up by uh, white trash rednecks. It was sort of Rob Zombie's, always Rob Zombie's go-to of like, oh gosh. And so that made Halloween one. Rob Zombie made Halloween two. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Wait, wait. Halloween one? He made Rob Zombie. It's Rob Zombie Halloween. So it's Halloween, but it's Rob Zombie's Halloween. This uh, is, that's
1: the title? Rob it, Zombie's Halloween?
0: No, it's just called... No, it is called Rob Zombie's Halloween, yes. Rob Zombie's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this case, we have a new...
1: But wait, what numbers are they at this point?
0: Okay, so that is... Let's see, H2O was 7, Resurrection was 8, Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween is 9, and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is 10. Gotcha. Then, it's like, oh, what's going to happen now? Then they came up, Blumhouse got involved... Uh, and they uh, put together uh, Halloween 2018. Official name is just Halloween. Uh, but uh, this uh, brings back once again Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee, so it forgets everything but one. It just goes, everything but one is forgotten. And in this timeline, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has a daughter, she has a child, but she is totally paranoid she's got her house set up at any time just in case someone breaks in they even sort of dismiss the idea that they're related this is not a sibling thing but just that michael myers is going to come after me at some point michael myers played by the same guy who played the shape in the original he's in this mental institute he breaks out and he comes after them and it's actually pretty damn good they made that it was a big hit they filmed the next was, two
1: was this the one that was made or written by danny mcbride
0: yes danny mcbride david gordon green was the director Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and David Gordon Green wrote it. Um, so I got to hear Danny McBride talking about making it and it's super funny. It's got some really funny parts. It's really good. I love it.
1: That's the most interesting one to me so far.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oh, without a doubt. I think you'd enjoy it the most. Uh, I think it's, it's really, really good. It's deals a lot with just responses to trauma and how that's generational, uh, and how it affects, you know, uh, the child raising and living and everything like that. And, I think it's really, actually really, really well done. And I'm super excited that they're doing a trilogy. So we've got, we'll have two more of those, but not yet, not yet, not yet. And by the way, all of these films, every single one of them has a novelization.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: so good. And I hope people pre-order, uh, my Halloween four book, uh, from Mondo press. (laughs) Okay, so now let's get to the part we've been talking for so long. Now I want to hear, what what was your favorite? What's your favorite moment? I think I know. but
1: um, You know, I, I, I thought I was going to say that that shot I mentioned of the car, the station wagon sort of pulling in the street behind on all plazas. There's something just so lovely about that moment. Yes, I agree. Um,
0: we, it's a moment think... that's homage to, by the way, in 2018's Halloween, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think
1: I think it's got to be w- when they pull up to the hospital and you see the patients out in the lawn because that I kept coming back to that as like an image that was stuck in my head as an affecting image and and in the spirit of the of the film which is meant to strike horror and dread that was the most effective it wasn't a jump scare it wasn't a gotcha moment um, it wasn't uh, played for laughs and there are a few of those mm. it was the most sort of dreadful moment to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, my least favorite. So, um, I'm a huge Donald Pleasance fan. I'm a huge Loomis fan. So if I get more Loomis doing anything, I'm happy in this film. There's, you know, he's waiting outside Michael Myers's house, which is what he does for a good majority of act two is wait in the bushes outside the house
1: (laughs) when apparently the cars right across the street the whole exactly. time.
0: Exactly. So that that's the moment. It's like first of all, he scares the little kid, and then later he has a conversation with the the cop. or right after that, so we're we're done there in my opinion. When we come back to him, he's still there waiting, and I'm like, really, guys? He's just been wait. Come on. And that's right, right there. He turns around and sees. Oh, if I'd only looked over there, there's the car. <laughs> oh, oh boy. And that that moment just always gets me. Uh, it it really bugs me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely bugged me too. And, and and we try not to you know nitpick too much sure. with these. But there's those there's the the knitting needle in the neck, and then the stabbing. <laughs> I,
0: like, I really like. Oh, you you mean that when he when she put drops the knife.
1: Yeah. 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 No, t- totally affecting with the like the stabbing of him and and all that. But um, but the. <laughs> But her just, like, lounging on the couch is just sort of ridiculous. <laughs> there was also one – I don't know if you caught this, but it definitely disturbed me in the moment. Not in the way I think the film intended. But uh, I can't remember the, the – uh, PJ Souls Yeah. plays the w- one of the girls. Uh, I know her name because she's in Stripes. Um, she's amazing. She's the one with the boyfriend that goes over to the house and they end Bob. up having sex. Yeah. Bob? Yeah. Bob. That's a boyfriend, yeah. So – there's a moment when they're on the couch and they're they're talking about, you know, I'll tear your clothes off and then you'll tear my clothes off. And then he says, and then we'll tear Bethany's clothes off.
0: Lindsay's clothes off. Lindsay's right.
1: clothes off. And it took me a second. And I thought, wait, is that the six-year-old girl?
0: Yeah. Isn't and that it, a weird line?
1: It is a super... Of course, I thought, oh, he must be talking about their friend, the no. babysitter. Yeah. And then I realized, no, he's talking about the little... What the fuck? <laughs> Like that totally threw me.
0: Sure, good. I'm glad it did. <laughs> it is a weird laugh. Don't know what's going on there.
1: And then they both laugh. Yeah. And go upstairs. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I wasn't insane. No,
0: you but were he, correct.
1: He did say that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so next up, we did get a request. Woo! On on iTunes. Someone someone listened to our plea to go rate us on iTunes and left a review and, and the review simply stated, do poltergeist. I don't know if that's a review. But it's definitely a request, and I think we should take it as such.
0: I love it. Another Toby Hooper movie. Uh,
1: it, he's the uh, Texas Chainsaw guy? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a lot more memory of Poltergeist than a lot of these other films, uh, so this will be interesting because this one, again, scared the shit out of me as a little kid.
0: Terrifying. Saw it in the theater. So scary.
1: So uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd be, i would be – Actually, after today's conversation, even more so, like, what a great – that's a great place to launch to. And that's the horror. Oh, Russell, where can people find you? I mean, like if Michael Myers was looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, if
1: he was on Twitter, finally, at Russell Sharman. And you?
0: Uh, uh, Owen Edgerton, That's Twitter, uh, Owen underscore Edgerton. There we go.
1: Uh, and uh, look out for uh, Owen's book on Halloween 4. I'm sure it'll be a yeah. real page-turner.
0: <laughs> Certainly
1: better than the novelization of Halloween 4. I can actually, actually imagine.
0: Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good.
1: All right, Owen. All right, Russell. See you next time.
0: Bye.